Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. that Bross were nominated for a BAFTA, a seagull ruined Blue Planet Live, and Piers Morgan banned Les Dennis from Good Morning Britain, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Right, well, on this week's episode of the podcast, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, Claire King joins us to talk about returning to Emmerdale as Kim Tate. We discuss David Attenborough's new Netflix show, Our Planet, and Paddy McGuinness shares his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Hiya, Jeffers. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm, I'm reeling a bit from the weekend. I watched a lot of big sort of drama and then also read that big interview of Ant and Deck. I don't know if you saw that, what you thought of it. Yeah, I did read it. I've been waiting to hear from Deck because obviously Ant's done a couple of interviews. This is a big interview in The Guardian at the weekend. And he was talking really openly about having therapy when he heard about everything that had, that had happened to Ant and that how they, he did contemplate splitting up the double act. And I was quite shocked. As someone who grew up with PJ and Duncan, it just gets worse and worse for me. Yeah, I thought the big news in it really was more from Deck than Ant. It's obviously Ant who's had the problems, but we haven't really heard about Deck and how he's felt. And I thought it really came across how much of an impact it had on him how he sort of had mixed feelings when Ant had his accident, both concerned for his friend, but also quite angry with him for the kind of things he did. But what also came across, I guess, in a more positive way towards the end was how close they are again now, how they'd had some real heart-to-hearts in the past six months, and they felt a lot closer again and a lot stronger maybe as a duo. And I I really feel like maybe now they're going to be able to go from strength to strength and carry on for another 20 or 30 years. Well, obviously, Britain's Got Talent is back at the weekend and Ant will be there Obviously, everyone's going to be watching Ant very closely and watching them and seeing if the banter's there in the wings. Do you think it's just going to be like it used to be? Yeah, they recorded a lot of this in January and we know the first day, it was quite an emotional day. There's YouTube footage of Ant and Deck on stage and, and Ant's very teary and, and they do share quite a big hug. There is a lot of emotion, but I also think the personalities and the usual sort of characteristics of the duo still seem to be sort of intact. They don't seem to have been damaged by what's happened so I think it should be pretty much business as normal once it's been edited into a normal episode. It's nice to see them just messing about again which is what we like them for to start with. I mean everyone loves them on screen yeah it would just be nice to see them doing what they do best really. Right let's go back to last weekend because Live Duty was on hooray and it's become the most watched show of 2019 so far it included that huge twist. What did you think Jeffers? I thought it was a slowish start to the episode actually and then I guess to bring in the two new characters, which is uh, John Corbett, played by Stephen Graham, 
and Lisa McQueen by, played by Roshenda Sandal. And I thought it, it started off a little bit slowly, but then it really kicked in. And I thought the last 20 minutes were up there with the sort of best of line of duty we've ever seen. It was a real shocking ending as well. Um, a kidnap, a potential death. It was quite shocking. Did you like it? I loved it. Well, I was at home for Mother's Day, so I was with my mum and dad. And my mum and dad started the first five minutes like, we saw this coming. We know that's a setup. Yeah, 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 we know. And then at the end, they were like, <gasps> so it was good. I think the big twist. Yeah, I think you're right that the initial bit wasn't, you know, especially if you remember the first episode of last series with the chainsaw and it was already exciting. Mm. I, I had such high hopes and I was like, oh, is it gonna is it gonna fulfill? But I think definitely by the end you're like, yes, brilliant. Hastings was on good form. I didn't like seeing him in a travel lodge that upset me. Like, Bit Alan Partridge, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Why can't he? He's on an inspector's wage. Why can't he afford it? Well, that's what we're gonna find out. There's yeah. obviously some problems. He, as we know, he's going through that divorce as well, and he's had trouble in his. In relationships, but yeah, there's obviously a, the cash flow problem as well, isn't there? He's not even staying in a, not even a travel lodge, or if it is, it's a pretty woeful one with a, you know, non-working toilet. So yeah, he's not in a good shape outside of the office. So this is six parts of series. It's just going to get better and better, isn't it? I feel like there's lots to come. We already know the last episode is going to be feature length, so a 90-minute episode to end, and we've already got potentially one of former AC12 dead. I think it's fair to say now we've got. Stephen Graham's character with a lot of questions surrounding him now, which which side of the fence he's on. It's a great setup, and I, I just can't wait to see episode two now. Stephen Graham's brilliant. What a fantastic addition to the cast. So, Line of Duty continues Sunday night, 9 o'clock BBC One, 8 o'clock on the other side on ITV. Another big favourite coming back. Lots of people will be really excited to have the Durrells back. You looking forward to it, Jeffers? It's a nice mix, this. I think if you're in on a Sunday night, you've got the Durrells now at 8 and then Line of Duty at 9. And the Durrells is kind of enjoyable in a totally different way, really. Maybe a different audience to some degree as well. But it feels quite sort of gentle and like a bit of a TV hug, I suppose. You've got um, Keely Horses, Louisa Durrell and the, the rest of the family in it. We've got the animals and, and the sunshine. And it's just quite a nice thing to watch, I think. Corfu does look absolutely gorgeous in it. It's kind of the same as Death in Paradise. You watch it and you're just like, oh, take me away. It's so beautiful and sunny. I have to say, I will not be watching this at 8 o'clock on Sunday night because I'll be watching the finale of Race Across the World, which I've become absolutely obsessed with. But yeah, I've seen episode one of The Dorals and it's great. Keely's brilliant in it. She just, she looks the part. She's just perfect for that role. Uh, and the kids are growing up a bit. There's a few growing pains. She's... She's upset because Spiro, she can't have him, but she wants him and he wants her, but he's married and all that kind of angst. But it's just classic Dorals, really, isn't it? There's nothing that new here other than an owl, which is nice to have an owl uh, occasionally about the place. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was just just lovely, which I know is a bit of a lame word, but it is, isn't it? You watch it and you're just like, oh. I guess the big new twist in this, if you could say there was such a thing, would be that there is now a boarding house on the penthouse floor of the house. Penthouse. Um, yeah, I think that's more of a joke, Jeffers. It's, more, it's kind of just like a and b It is open for trading, I suppose. That's the big new thing. And um, you've also got Miles Jupp there as a Basil. He's, he's sort of full-time. He d- delivers a bit of humour in there, which is quite useful. And as you say, the kids now have all matured, both actually sort of realistically in terms of looks and stuff, but also I think in terms of their acting. Keely probably had to carry this a bit more in the first few series. I still feel she's the central core of it and it all goes around her. But I think the other actors play their part a lot more and it's just a really enjoyable show to watch. And speaking of Keely Hawes, two BAFTA nominations when they came out last week. Very exciting. One as sporting actress for Mrs. Wilson, one as lead actress for The Bodyguard. Nothing for Richard Madden. What did you think of this year's noms? I was pleased for Keely. I do worry that she's going to miss out again. She's not won one before. She's been nominated before and 
always been a bit unlucky. She's got such tough competition. Killing Eve got 14 nominations and two of those are in, in one of Keeley's categories for Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh. So I think against those two, she's going to be really struggling. I also thought it was good. Very English Scandal got 12 nominations. I think that that's pretty deserved. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, the Bross documentary Yay. got some nominations, which was pretty cool, right? There's always one every year. Last year, Jay McDonald was up for a BAFTA and that, that pleased me. It brought great warmth to my life. This year, it's Bross. Can you imagine... I mean, I think it deserves it. It was such a brilliant documentary and so talked about. And they've got to play it. They've got to open the BAFTAs, right? I mean, yeah, we, oh, I would love to see them playing at the BAFTAs. Also, it's a bit of a behind-the-scenes thing, but Brostock is made by Full World 73, and they're, they're a really growing company in, in TV. They also made the really good Sons Until I Die documentary on Netflix, probably the best football documentary that I've ever seen. And they made this Bross documentary. They're on great form. I'd love to see them win, not just for Bross, but also for those guys, because they're making some great stuff. Now, Hugh Grant going to win a BAFTA or is Cumberbatch going to win his first BAFTA? Um, Same category for lead actor. I think I'd rather see Hugh Grant win, to be honest with you, out of these two, yeah. I did enjoy Patrick Melrose, but I definitely enjoyed Very English Scandal a lot more. I'd love to see Ben Whishaw win as well. He's one of my favourite actors of all time. Um, I just think he's brilliant in everything he does. So I think out of the two, I'd like to see Very English Scandal probably clean up a bit. And obviously, we'd like to see Killian Eve win something as well. So I'm very excited to welcome to the Series Link studio a lady you might know as Karen Betts in Bad Girls. You might know her as Erica from Corrie, but you'll probably know her as the infamous Kim Tate in Emmerdale. And she's recently made her triumphant return. It's Claire King. Thanks for being here, Claire. How are you doing? Pleasure. I'm very well, thank you, considering my workload at the moment. (laughs) Well, that's it. When they get you back in a soap, they're like, right, every storyline, every scene. Every single set, every single place that you wouldn't normally see her, she's there. (laughs) (laughs) But she's so iconic because I think she's one of those characters that even if you didn't watch much Emmerdale, you know exactly who she is, exactly what she's all about. I mean, you said you've had offers to come back before. Why now? And what made you think, yeah, go on then? Um, Yeah, as you say, I mean, people haven't really forgotten about Kim Tate. um, And she has haunted me for the last 20 years, (laughs) I must admit. That made it quite an easy decision really to go back but um, it has been brought up a few times in the last couple of decades and it didn't feel right because I just wanted to completely shake her off which I never really could do but I've been lucky I've been working in you know other areas doing pantomime theatre touring films other dramas so you know as an actress I feel I've kind of covered all areas, so to speak. And then when this came back, having left Corrie and still living in North Yorkshire, I thought, hmm, OK, I get home every night and probably in daylight, which is good. It was just time to kind of settle for a bit. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite an easy choice, really. And do you think sometimes when you create something so iconic, you just got to go with it and embrace it? And Because not yeah. everyone can create a character like that. There's so many characters that have forgotten. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, she, she is a big character. She is. <laughs> and can be a bit camp at times. <laughs> but because of that, she gets all the lines written for her and she gets some great one-liners and it's, it's just fun to play. And everyone says, well, what's it like, you know, would you rather play 
you know, a bitchy character or downtrodden. Or, well, <laughs> I'd much rather play someone like Kim Tate. But the downside of that, of course, is when you get people who get a little bit confused with reality and fiction and seem to think that you're like that as well. <laughs> so, you know. I was going to say, what, what's the reaction been like since you've been back on screen? Have you got people back sort of shouting at you in the streets or nice um, positive stuff? Well, no, I haven't really been out and about, actually. <laughs> I've been in hiding. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I haven't. No, I've had some really good positive feedback. I mean, there will be people out there, but I, I don't kind of read things that go on on Twitter and things because I don't really know those people so I don't really have much connection with them so I mean there's bound to be people that'll be shouting and screaming and and saying nasty comments but then I consider that job done then really because that's what she's about and hopefully in time we'll see which we are going to um a softer side some other sides to the character that doesn't make a quite so one-dimensional bitch you know eventually we will see other sides to her which is great because she's used to getting what she wants but she's going to try and seduce Kane and that's not Mm going to quite go how she wants so that's that's not going to go down well is it no I mean I think from the get-go Kane and Kim it was never going to be a love (laughs) match really there's too much past history between the Dingles the Tates and then with Joe and Debbie so um yeah I think they're they've become very quickly they've become adversaries but Kim likes a handsome dude you know and she thinks she can manipulate anyone she's used to get seeing a goal and aiming for it and it doesn't matter what's in the way they become roadkill. She thinks she can do it with Kane, but she she's kind of met a match with him. But she still has a go and ends up, you know, trying to seduce him, basically through blackmail. So it's my favourite technique. <laughs> yeah, as you would. Doesn't everyone do it that way? <laughs> do, you, do you think being in prison has changed her at all as a character? Um, I think it's it has changed her to a certain extent. I think she's become even tougher. I reckon she was top dog in prison because she actually says, well, it's a long time since I've seen someone's blood splattered on the floor to Kane, as though she's kind of like, well, you know, that's what went on and you accept it. It's not normal behaviour. And I think uh, it's toughened her because she was tough enough to handle it. Because I think you said on TV, maybe she's more evil now than ever. And do you think part of that is is the prison experience? Yeah, Yeah, I I think because... um, Prison has definitely made her tougher and, that, and the whole experience of that, it's six years in there. And I think at a time when she was probably feeling vulnerable because her son was still a teenager, so he was sent away to boarding school and then obviously went to university and studied to be a vet. So she's wanting to be reconnected with him as well. So hopefully we'll get to see her, you know, with her son as well. And what was it like going back? I'm guessing you had to have a different dressing room. <laughs> Things had changed oh. a little bit. When I went back, it was completely different studios, mm. never mind dressing rooms. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we were in um, just further down the road in Leeds and then they moved back to the main ITV studios. So it was new studios, new sets, um, a lot of chrome suddenly crept into Home Farm. <laughs> I have to do something about that, I think. Back to the wood. Um, and obviously new faces. There's very few people. There's a few dingles left, you know, Pollard, those sort of people that were still in the cast. There's still quite a few of the crew that were there, which is nice. So there was still that welcoming feeling. But everybody, 
there has just been so welcoming because it was really daunting going back after 20 years, not just as an actress for me, but also, I guess, because I was worried about, you know, the viewers and said, well, you know, she's so much older than she was before. Well, of course, you know, I'm nearly double the age of what I was when I started. So um, there, there was quite a bit of pressure on, but... Everybody's just been so lovely, really has. And I know people say it's like one big family, no, no, no. All the cliches, but cliches happen to be true facts. So that's why I feel that way. And it's been so nice to be welcomed in as part of the team. And it is one very well-oiled machine, you know, from cleaners, producers, chefs, drivers, cars, crew, you name it, makeup, costume. Everybody has their role and it seems to just slot in so you've got enough time to have a bit of fun on there a bit of laughter and it's a very relaxed very good work ethic so which I, I guess is a bit surprising because they've got so many episodes to get out now yeah how many episodes was it when you did it originally when i first joined 30 years ago this year um it was two a week wow and mm. sort of on it tea time or something, you know, sort yeah. of half six. Because it used to be on in the afternoons originally. So, yeah, from two episodes, then we went to three by the time I'd left, and it's double that with the occasional, you know, seven a week. So it's more than double the, the workload. Does the process... Unfortunately, the... the um, our pay hasn't doubled. Has <laughs> Just get that one in. <laughs> I was going to ask if the process has changed. Then did you have more time for kind of read-throughs back in the day, or is it oh. similar? Pro- is it just longer working days? How does it kind of work in terms of the process? Oh my god, the process has changed so so much. I mean, back in the day, we'd have a day of blocking which was just going in with your scripts. You go through, you work out where you're standing, where you're moving to, if you're making tea, baking a scone, as Annie used to do quite a lot. Um, (laughs) And, you know, work it out for the cameras on certain lines. You did this, certain lines you did that. That was your blocking day. Then the next day, two days, you'd have rehearsals. So you'd go through these. So you knew them back to front. Then you'd have a producer's run where the producers had come down. That was the scary bit where you just went through the whole episodes from set to set to set to set. And then you filmed them for the rest of the week. And that was it. Job done. Now you work all weekend learning lines because you get an awful lot when you first come in. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go in on a Monday morning. You're in the makeup chair at 7 o'clock and you get on set 8 o'clock and they say, right, we'll do a line run. You do a line run have a rehearsal, this is your blocking, you'll go from there to there on that, right, we'll have a rehearsal now for the cameras, I can see, right, should we go for a take? Yeah, okay, I think that was fine. Okay, moving on, next scene. And you go, what happened there? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like a world, you know? It's quite intense then, really. It's pretty intense, yeah. Yeah. And is it similar on Corrie or are they actually quite different beasts? No, it's the same beast. Mm. Yeah, same sort of process, exactly. When you were in Corrie, did you find people were still calling you Kim on the street when yeah. they saw it? Were they getting confused? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they were. But, I mean, there are very stalwart Emmerdale fans and there are very stalwart Corrie fans. And then there are soap fans. And then there are TV fans. And they're all very different. <laughs> I, I still got Kim, but I did get some Ericas. But it's mainly always been Kim or... Karen at times because there were people who didn't watch soaps but were avid viewers of Bad Girls. So, 
yeah, I've been called all sorts, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think bad girls could come back? I know a lot of people no. that miss that. Definitely I don't not. think bad girls will come back, no. No. I mean, Shed Productions has basically retired, long gone. And I think it's sort of saw at its day, really. I left after, I think it was about six series six seven and it went on for ten but i think they kind of dragged enough storylines out of a prison really <laughs> for for ten years but i mean it, that was a good run i'm proud i did that and it was such a fantastic show and it won so many awards it was kind of downton of its day but yeah. in different dress if you know what i mean everybody loved bad girls yeah. and they still do now i mean they've got some real fanatical fans out there that love it still and how long do you think uh, you might like to stay in Emmerdale this time around it was it was about a 10 year stint last time was it is that right no I, the first time round, I did about five six years right. and then I died because I wanted to move on really um so they killed the character off and then there was a case of mistaken identity on oh, the slab right, yeah. <laughs> when I came <laughs> back <Classic> soap <laughs> technique yeah yeah well wasn't shot by daffodils, at least, <laughs> or woke up in a shower. Um, yes, mistaken identity on the slab, and then had a little bit of time off and agreed to go back, and it was just for about another two years. In all, it was nine years with a gap in the middle. I don't know. I mean, you know, you're there as long as your contract's there, so I'm, I'm there till, you know, beginning of next year at the moment, so that's great. Do you think sometimes the soaps don't get enough credit, the credit they deserve? You talked about how hard you work and what an operation it is. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the two hardest jobs you can do in this business are pantomime and soap. Mm. And they're both still, to some extent, frowned upon, looked down on by, you know, hierarchy or the big execs up there and think no drama or anything but they're easier to do this is such a it, it's the slog it's the grind it's the day in day out and also your mental capacity because you're learning lines so many lines so many scenes per day and then it's at the end of the day all in the bin and you start all over again you know touring in a play you've got the same lines you get familiar with it fine Panto, yet similar, but it's the hard graph, particularly if you're doing three shows a day. So I'd say those two are, and and people wouldn't think that. They just think the audience sees a pantomime and thinks, oh, that's fun. or And they think that at work we're all sitting around in the green room, you know, having a drink and a laugh and all the rest of it. You ain't got time for that. It's right, on with the next. You're there, you're there. You're crossing over onto the next block. You're coming from this block to that block. You, you can't, you don't see people for about, I don't know, two months maybe or maybe even more. You know, if you're not doing the same storylines, you don't see people for ages. You must be freezing half the time up there. Oh, my word. In January, when I first got back and we are doing all the horsey scenes and things, I was actually at the village, which is a bit of a wind tunnel, actually. Well, very much a wind tunnel. And it's quite exposed, you know, to the elements. And I was there for four days on the trot and it was minus five. Ouch. 
much wow. each day. And I get rheumatoid arthritis. So I just give me some more hand warmers. I'll put them down my bra. I'll put them <laughs> down my pants. I've had them everywhere. I just, I just go get back home and sit in a bath for about an hour with a large glass of sherry. <laughs> I wanted to ask as well. You've done a few of the reality shows. I just wanted to ask mm. how you how you found that experience. Was oh. it a good experience, or do you no. regret it? Or no, I, I didn't enjoy those at all. Um, well, strictly for obvious reasons with having arthritis was probably wasn't the best choice. Hence, you'll never, ever see me dancing on ice. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, you can shoot me. <laughs> so that wasn't the best experience. But it was it was enjoyable as far as learning something. Because I, I like to do things that are kind of have a twist or whatever, or, you, you know, you actually gain something from it. That was good as far as that experience. But I'm not a kind of, oh, let's get all dressed up and sparkly kind of girl, really. I'm more like, see me down the stables covered in... <laughs> so um, that wasn't the best experience. And um, Big Brother was just dire. Well, I was just so ill. <laughs> I yeah. left there and ended up on a drip for a week. <laughs> so that wasn't the greatest experience no. ever. So, no, I've kind of put those on hold for the moment. It's much better to be back in Emmerdale. Um, and when yeah. you actually do get any downtime, which I appreciate it's not that often, yeah. do you watch telly? What kind of telly do you like to watch? Dramas, obviously, you know, good dramas with good twists. Uh, things like Killing Eve and those yeah. sort of, I mean, just oh, fantastic. Well, there's there's a fair few at the moment, aren't there? There was a, there was a dearth of them for a while, and then now suddenly, somebody's found some money somewhere. All the channels seem to be doing it. I mean, Netflix are doing really well, doing their own, and which is quite interesting twist on the industry. It's not just the main, you know, terrestrial channels that are doing the dramas and things. Yeah, and films, and I like my sport. I love my horse racing, rugby, Formula One, all the fast things, really. And then also like getting out on my horse and, and being able to have a ride, a hack out and blow the cobwebs off and just completely chill. You know, you forget about everything. You're going to be pushing for Kim to have more horses. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they are. I think mm. they're, they're putting more horses in and you can't have Kim tape without horses, really. So, uh, yeah, I've got a great range of outfits now. Excellent. <laughs> <That sense. laughs> so, <laughs> is there anything that she hasn't done that you feel like is unfulfilled that she, that character needs? I think it'd be great for her to probably get her son back and then the family side of it would be quite good. It's almost like the Tate dynasties back that would be quite interesting particularly as there's so many dingles you know she's a bit outnumbered at the moment like Custer's last stand I think that would be interesting and would also give her possibly a softer side with having that family the protection I love working with Andrew Scarborough who plays Graham he's just so easy to work we've got the same you know work ethic um, same sense of humour as well and I think that's quite an interesting pairing really even though they're not actually a couple, but I think it's quite interesting and so different from the other characters in Emmerdale. And when the soap wars comes around, you're going to have a great time because you know all of the Corey lot, all the Emmerdale lot. It's and a lot... the Hollyoaks lot. Yeah. Been in that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of camaraderie between the soaps, isn't there? Yeah, there is, yeah. And I think also when you get to my age, it's, you've kind of done them all and you've you've worked with people who've, on other jobs who are then obviously doing soaps as well. So you, you do have a lot of mates in the industry over the years, you know, you've worked with. So, yeah, it's, it'll, it's good fun. And you mentioned all the other soaps and obviously you've done a great 
deal of different work. Is there anything you personally would like to do that maybe you haven't tried? Or I guess from what you're saying, there's a lot of good drama around, maybe a, another drama role in something else. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do another drama. I mean, I'd have loved to have been in Cold Feet. I think it's just one of the best balanced dramas on TV for entertainment, laughter, and then the drama and the the angst that goes on in there and it's in its everyday life you know that sort of thing is is just fantastic the humor i'd love to do drama i mean i've done a couple of films within the last year one which is out in january and then i got another one coming out probably christmas time i think drama's the main thing really I don't think you'll be seeing me eating bugs in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly not eels. Oh, God, no. Because I, I think what you, what you said about um, Netflix sort of arriving on the scene, I feel yeah. like maybe that whole introduction of that has pushed all the BBC and ITV and maybe the quality of drama just seems to be really good at the moment, to be honest. It is. It, the quality of drama at the moment is particularly high. And I think that is because of Netflix and I think Amazon are going to start doing stuff mm. and everybody's producing their own stuff, which ages ago, I mean, I think it was the second series of Downton Abbey was gonna, wasn't going to go ahead. You know, they couldn't afford to do it. Um, thank God it did. And now we have this wealth of top quality dramas. And I think because there's more of them, there is a slight chance that more... Older ladies, I know I'm going to throw that old sausage in there, might have a chance of actually continuing to work. They haven't done in the past, right, as many. But I think we're, we're getting better parts again now. And I don't see why we, we should eliminate, you know, older women from from this business. We've got the wealth, we've got the talent, we've got the history. Well, it is something that gets missed, isn't it? They talk about roles for women, but they... They never talk about diversity in terms of no. age. There's diversity in many other areas, and I think we're covering that very, very well. Mm. But the ageism is still mm. there. And that's actually one of the things that Soap is good at across the board, yeah. I think. Yeah, having... and particularly Emmerdale and Corrie, because they write for strong women. Mm. Ah. And that's why I'm also lucky, because playing Kim Tate, they actually write for the character. And you can tell when the writers like to write for a character, as opposed to just... Oh, I suppose we better give her a scene, you know. I mean, in the Emmerdale writing room, they're going to be excited when they have a scene for Kim Tate. That's going to be a good day. I yeah, think. I know. <laughs> but I go, oh, I get the scripts. I go, how many? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Claire, for being with us. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. My pleasure for being here. Thanks. So we mentioned earlier, Britain's Got Talent is back. Saturday night always gets massive, massive ratings. And the regular judging panel will be back as well. Simon, Amanda, Alicia and, of course, David Williams. This is David's seventh series as both a judge and antagonist of Simon slash lover. I think he likes to imply. <laughs> uh, and it's easy to forget, actually, because he's part of the furniture now. But it was quite surprising casting when it was announced. So, Jeffers, my big question to you this week is... Are there any celebs, any TV folk that you think are missing their calling as a reality show judge? Well, on this one, I just focused on Britain's Got Talent, I think, because I'm writing about it quite a lot of work. So that was the main thing I thought about. And I thought of two people who I thought could be good. Um, one is Philip Schofield. OK. I think he's normally, he obviously hosts things like Dance on Ice and he's normally a host of these sort of reality type shows. But I think he, he can be quite opinionated. I think sometimes on This Morning we see him not quite lose his temper, but he can get a bit annoyed or get a bit opinionated so I think he would be quite good 
my second one, which is my main choice, to be honest with you, she'll never do it. But if anyone left, I think Sheridan Smith would be like my ultimate She'd BDT be amazing. Judge. She's done it all really, hasn't she? She's done the theatre. She's got her own uh, music career now as well. And obviously great acting as well. So I think she would be perfect. And if she got properly involved and sang along and stuff, I mean, she is a, you know, a real A-lister. And I think, to be honest with you, I think she might be a bit better than either of the current oh. female judges, who are very good. But I think, yeah, Sheridan would be a great addition. Fight and talk. Do you remember when they first announced Britain's Got Talent? Paul O'Grady was either supposed to supposed to host it or be on the panel. Yeah, Paul did. I'm not sure which capacity, but Paul did the pilot, and he always says he's glad that he, it never really happened because he watches it now and he thinks they're much better. But yeah, he was originally going to be one of the stars of the show. Yeah, he'd have been brilliant. Do you think he would have been good? Of, of course, he's brilliant at anything he does. But I just he's very natural, isn't he? He's very honest. I think he'd have been great on there. And another thing that's come out this week is actually is um, in Britain's Got Talent is Simon has said that all of the judges are going to probably be back next year. We haven't even started this series. He said in like a press pack in the interview there that he sort of feels like if it's not broke, don't fix it. So although I've put up Sheridan and Schofield, there's not much chance of them getting to take over anytime soon. Well, and Britain's Got Talent does so well if you compare it to X Factor. That's probably because they've kept it roughly the same. Yeah, I think there's something in that. People do like the sort of similarities. They they know the characteristics. There's a good mixture of personalities there. So I guess, yeah, it, it just works, doesn't it? Coming up in the next few weeks on Series Linked, Jeffers and I will speak to John Hanna about The Victim and we'll speak to Sarah Cox as well about her new ITV show. I'm Graham Wilcos, here to tell you that the Bradley Wiggins show from Eurosport is back for a brand new series. For 20 years I've just been called a hero and a legend, you know, and other things obviously, but only beyond the back. <laughs> we'll bring you stage-by-stage analysis of the Giro d'Italia, the World Championships, La Vuelta, and of course, the Tour de France. Oh, he's got him! Second time down, he's back Each week, Sir Brad and our panel of cycling experts will be taking a deep dive into the world of two wheels and lycra. Brailsford could put his hand down a toilet and pull chocolate out. The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is your essential guide to the greatest events in cycling. Subscribe now on Audioboom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. So a couple of factual shows to discuss now. Jeffers, Our Planet is coming up on Netflix. If you don't remember, this is David Attenborough's big new project. Bit weird that he's not on the BBC, feels a bit uncomfortable. What do you make of this? I mean, this is epic. That's the word I would use to describe it. It's an eight-parter. It's Netflix throwing the absolute kitchen sink at nature programmes. There's a royal premiere this week at the National History Museum. Ellie Goulding's done the theme tune. 600-strong crew. This is basically their blue planet, for want of a better word. And it just looks at all different aspects of the natural world. What they've done, which perhaps the BBC can't do, is they do sort of hammer home some of the problems and maybe what can be done. Um, Atma does say the next 20 years are very important and, and over the course of the series... We're going to show what must be done to preserve the world and the natural world. Um, I'd also say this is one definitely not to watch on your commute, on a little phone or or a tablet. This you want the full effect. You want to watch it on a big screen. It's got incredible wildlife, incredible colours. Uh, yeah, I think it's amazing and, and definitely one to watch. There are some really beautiful sequences in it. This fabulous bit with flamingos in this rainbow water. There's an amazing bit with an orchid bee. And it's so close. That sounds boring, but it's so close up and it's so colourful and it's it's incredible. So there's a lot of amazing things about this. But I think there is some element of it being style over substance, I have to say. Um, I think the storytelling is a bit off, actually. They start off by saying it's all about 
basically it's all about climate change. You know, don't despair. It's not just that it's rubbish and we're all going to die. It's actually going to teach you what needs to be done and we're going to save our planet. It's going to be great. Fine. And then it just kind of skits around to different films. And I don't really understand how they link together. Some of them, I don't really understand what they've got to do with climate change. Then at the end, they hammer you over the head with the polar bears and the melting ice caps, which we've all seen before. And I just think, Netflix like great we've got Attenborough great we've got we'll get some high-tech cameras and get some great footage on there but as a story as a documentary I don't know it kind of left me a little bit cold I think the first episode is maybe a little bit like that the first episode's called One Planet and then after that we're into sequences jungles the high seas forests and I think after that first episode it is going to make a bit more sense but I agree it does jump around a little bit that first one There's a great food chain sequence I really loved with some birds, mackerel and dolphins and it shows how they're all sort of eating each other and how that all works. And as you mentioned, the pink flamingos, lovely. But then there was a a weird sort of bird competition to do with sort of singing, almost like a sort of talent show, which was was supposed to be sort of an amusing sort of interlude almost. And, And that felt a bit odd to me, that one piece. And as you say, then it goes on to polar bears, uh, the fact that some of the cubs now grow up underweight because they're not able to hunt for as much of the year. Very important, and I was interested in that. That felt quite at odds maybe with this bird's talent competition, and it, it wasn't quite perfectly married together. It did look incredibly beautiful. I don't know if it can look any better than the BBC's HD Blue Planet stuff, but it felt better than ever in terms of the colours. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the rest, but I think you're right. It does need to be a bit more coherent as it goes along. You're right, that first episode does feel like an introduction. And then because then they say, right, so we've introduced it all. Now we're going to tell you as if kind of assuming you're going to binge watch the whole thing in one go. I said, oh, at the end, I said, oh, why don't you tell me that you were just setting it up? I've been confused throughout the whole thing about where you're going with this. But I did like the message that this is this is fixable in some way because I've never heard that before. All I've heard is it's bad guys. It's bad guys. And and that I don't know. I I sometimes think, do I really want to sit for an hour and look at the forthcoming apocalypse? Is that is that going to be a fun hour for me? Yeah, and I also think when Attenborough does these on BBC, they do as much as they can, and obviously they are promoting not using single-use plastic and those type of things. But I wonder if they can go a bit further in this, and whether so. David's words are going to be a bit more powerful, and and they can really say how they feel. And there's going to be no backlash or no sort of need to be perhaps as impartial as the BBC, if you like. So I'm looking forward to watching the rest and to see just how far they go and what suggestions they make as well, actually. Because it is a big deal for Attenborough to go over to Netflix. I know for us as viewers, it's like, oh, he's very BBC. But for him, I think, you know, he's talked very openly in the past about how much he cares about the BBC, how important it is to him. But So he obviously really believes that Netflix can get this conservation message across, which is something he cares about so much. Yeah, in the interviews to promote this so far, he has been saying that one of the reasons he's done it is it, it comes out on Friday, as we've mentioned, all eight parts drop on Friday for everyone in 200 territories. This documentary is out there across the world instantly. And, and I think there's something about that that he likes. He feels that the message can get out that much quicker. And from what he says here, we've only got 20 years to make a change. And so he obviously feels it's important to do things sooner rather than later. I think he's also working with very much the same team he's worked with before and they obviously felt like they wanted to do something with Netflix and, and he's confident enough to go with them in whatever they choose. So I, I think it's a good idea and it, it's going to be really fascinating to see how this plays out and what the reaction is and how much it gets picked up and I guess we'll find out one day how many viewers there are across the world watching it. Yeah, interesting stuff. Let's talk about a show now. Just slightly lower budget, but I thought it was a brilliant show when it was on last year. That was Pilgrimage Road to Santiago. This is Pilgrimage to Rome on BBC Two. And it's a bunch of celebs going on a pilgrimage. Some of them are atheist, some of them are really religious and sort of everywhere in between. Jeffers, you didn't watch series one of this, did you? No, and to be honest, I watched the previous. It starts on Friday, it's a three-parter and I watched it thinking I wasn't going to really enjoy it and it wasn't for me, but 
it is really interesting. They've got a really good mixture of people involved, the likes of Les Dennis, Leslie Joseph, Brendan Cole, comedians Stephen Camos and Katie Brand. And as you say, they've all got different faiths. They all sort of team up together. And again, a bit like we were talking about with the Doris, it's just quite a nice thing to watch. There's no huge rows. You know, you're not going to get any big squabbles despite there being sort of different religions. But it's just sort of interesting to hear them all talk about their faiths and what keeps them going and all the while helping each other up a mountain. So, yeah, it's, it's quite enjoyable. Yeah, because you've got the physical challenge aspect of it, and it is pretty challenging, especially for Leslie Joseph. She needs to get a bus at one point. It's, it's a bit too much. It's really demanding. But also, in this time where the country's divided and everyone's really aggressive about their feelings, they all talk about their faith and their search for, is there something beyond this life, etc., etc. But, you know, Brendan Cole's sitting there going, oh, I don't believe it, don't believe it. And they're really calm with him. They're just like, OK, well, you know, you think this and this is what I feel. And it's a really sort of calm discussion and everyone's very honest and very open. I just think that's really refreshing and nice to see. And I think most people I know are not totally atheist and are not totally religious, are questioning, you know, what, what there is. And I just think it's a really interesting programme from that perspective. You wonder when they first picked the lineup here, they presumably picked Brendan knowing that he, he had no religious faith thinking that he might stir things up. I imagine they were expecting there to be a few arguments. But there's really no sign of that. As you say, it's all... There's some fairly heated conversation, I suppose you'd describe it as. But generally, it's interesting to hear the different celebrities talk about their different faiths and sort of compare notes almost. What you get with, with religion, I suppose, is you get good personal stories, you know, stories about them going to church or things like that with their parents and how it affects their lives. And I suppose sort of a cross between a documentary and a reality show, but the conversations aren't of the type you would normally get in a reality show. They're actually really interesting. There's a lot of emotion there as well. I guess they're also all quite tired after all their walking and they're sort of all heading for this sort of one common goal, which is to get to Rome. And so, so yeah, it's quite a moving sort of show to watch in some ways. And if you're thinking, oh, pilgrimage, that sounds like it's going to hammer you over the head with religion. It's just really not that, is it? It's, I just think it's generally quite an interesting way to learn about these people and their background. And generally, a lot of them are on the older side. You know, they're all 30s, 40s, 50s. And 30s, so... not old, Jeffers. <laughs> no, but I mean, I suppose, I mean, like a reality show, quite often you would get a yeah. couple of teenagers or whatever. And other than a, a TV host, Maureen Baig, other than her, I think they're all getting on a bit. So they've got a bit <laughs> more, I suppose, a bit more about them to talk about. Family members who've passed away or people close to them and death and religion. And so it is quite an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, bit of a hidden gem, I reckon. Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Les Dennis surprised us. He was waxing lyrical about the Dick Van Dyke show. This week, it's the turn of Paddy McGuinness. Here is his box set to watch before you die. Hello, I'm Paddy McGuinness and my box set to watch before you die is Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm not kidding. I, I actually think that I have a better time at a funeral than, than I do at a party. Okay, that is just insane. <laughs> Why? Why? Think of it. I mean, it's it, it's sort of entertaining in a way. You've got people speaking from the heart, and, and it's very dramatic, and some of it's funny, uh-huh. and it's very philosophical. Some of it's funny. funerals are funny. Well, there's some funny aspects to a funeral, but this, you know, this okay. is death. You'd like to do what he does. You'd like to have that level of honesty. Instead of being really polite or if something doesn't quite go your way in a shop with someone serving you, it'd be great to have that level of honesty. And when you're watching it, it's very, very funny. But it's a little bit uncomfortable as well, which I think works a treat. What is this? Are you trying to bribe no. me? No. You think you can bribe no, me? Do I, I look like I can be bribed? No, I was paying Are you trying advance. to bribe a pharmacist? No, no I'm paying in advance. Take your money! 
Nobody bribes a pharmacist. Get out right now. I'm so I'm Security. Firstly and foremost, it's just very, very funny. Until I'd started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm from the first ones that I mean I couldn't believe they used the C word which he does in that. So that sort of shocked me a little bit and pet me attention up as well, you know. It's definitely one to watch that. Curb Your Enthusiasm. What a great choice. Brilliant theme tune as well, obviously. What do you reckon, Jeffers? This would definitely be in my top ten of programmes of all time. Absolutely love it. Um, it's been going for nine seasons. It's HBO yet again for the box sets, but you can watch over here on Amazon Prime Videos or Sky Atlantic is on a lot. It's almost Larry David playing himself, really. I think I sort of aspire to be a bit more like this when I get older, really just says what he feels, acts sort of how he wants, and the results are really, really funny. I've always loved it. Also, you don't really need to follow the whole thing. You can dip in and out. It's quite often something I watch on a, on a flight or something because you can just watch one or two episodes. I love it, find it really funny. What, what do you think? Yeah, I really enjoy it as well. It's a bigger influence on Ricky Gervais as well. I thought he was going to pick this when we did this with him, but mm. obviously he picked Murder One instead. It's just a really funny programme, and it, he's so sort of indignant when anyone challenges him about what he says why can't I be honest why can't I be free about what I'm saying it's just very very funny I think it's a brilliant brilliant choice so if you haven't seen it definitely check it out thank you Paddy for that choice you can see Paddy McGuinness on his new game show Catch Points it's on every Saturday evening on BBC One and there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week So we're nearly out of time in this week's episode, but as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, it's your favourite moment. This is all about you. Hit me next week. First one is Don't Forget the Driver. This is Toby Jones' new dark comedy. It's on BBC Two, Tuesday the 9th of April. He's been a coach driver. There's a dead body involved, some strangers. Sounds quite interesting. You, You know a bit more about it, I think. Yeah, it's a bit bleak. It's set in Bognor Regis, which is not necessarily bleak in itself, but the, his life is a bit bleak and it's not a sort of big laugh out loud comedy, but I think fans of Toby Jones will, will like it. Also want to give a shout out to The Widow, which is on ITV from next Monday. It's from the makes of The Missing. It's starring Kate Beckinsale. She's basically a widow and she goes in search of her husband in Africa, thinking he might still be alive. I've seen the first episode of this thing. It looks really good. Fantastic. Next month. A big one for Amazon. It's May 31st. It's Good Omens. Yes been talked about for a long time it's obviously the book of terry pratchett and neil gaiman and it's going to be a masterclass for michael sheen and david tennant you've got michael sheen playing the angel in it and david tennant playing the demon lots of other really big names in this one they feel like they've been trailing it for about three years um i think it's going to be really big they showed us like the tiniest clip at the amazon prime showcase day and it looks so so good you don't have to be a fan of the book it looks great anyway next year next year i think i'm being a bit hopeful that it's going to be next year but there is a new Sex in the City sequel um, in terms of a book and the rights have already been bought um, in America. It's going to be on Paramount TV. The book's not even out yet. The book's out in August, but already the TV rights have been bought up and there's a lot of speculation about what the characters are going to be like, whether there are going to be the same sort of characters from Sex in the City. What we do know is that the, the female characters in it are going to be in their 50s and 60s, so it's going to be quite different. But there's a lot of hype for this and uh, I'm sure once the book comes out, there's going to be even more. It's not really a Sex and the City sequel. It's well, just a book by the same writer that happens to be about dating. There's going to be no Carrie, no Samantha. It's called Is There Still Sex in the City? So I'm, I'm hopeful. such a cynical ripping off of the original. As a, as a Sex and the City fan, I'm not happy about it. Well, the, the last film was terrible anyway, wasn't it? So, I mean, I don't think there should be any more, but I'm hopeful that maybe with some new characters, it could be good. Okay, well, we'll see. Lots for us to keep an eye on there. 
That's all we've got time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you've enjoyed it, and obviously we hope you have, please do leave a five-star rating and a review. It'll make us very happy. And make sure you've subscribed so the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. But for now, bye-bye. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.